This episode of the Sportsman's Nation is brought to you by Outdoor Edge and their complete lineup of replaceable and fixed blade knives and game processing kits. Now, in my bag this year, I had the Razor Pro Saw Combo Kit. It comes in a very compact handy carrying case and one handle has the replaceable blade knife and the gutting blade the other handle has the saw that comes with it so I use the saw to split the pelvis and I use the gut hook to open up the cavity and the blade to start cutting all the stuff out right so uh, it makes cleaning a deer very simple very easy and the the knife is sharp and uh, if you've ever had to gut a deer with a dull knife, we all know how much that sucks. So um, take a look at the Razor Pro Saw Combo Kit and uh, head on over to OutdoorEdge.com and enter the discount code NATION30. That's NATION30 for 30% savings on your purchase. Welcome to the Land and Legacy Podcast. We're your hosts, Adam Keith and Matt Dye. This is your number one resource for all things land. If you're interested in conservation, habitat management, hunting strategy, and rural real estate, this is the podcast for you. Welcome back. Ooh, here we are for another Habitat Podcast. I'm Adam. I'm Matt. And we are Land and Legacy, and we're here to talk to you guys. Uh, I feel like that was an intro to the first podcast we ever did, right? Um, it's probably probably was better than the first one. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even encourage people to go back to listen oh, to, no. the, to the beginning. Honestly, I can't tell you the last one I've ever even listened to, like podcasts that we've done. Like I can tell you right now, we I'm, just hit record and and it'll go live. And I'll I've never, never listen listened to, to a single podcast of ours. I can't do it. I don't like to listen to myself at all. Um, I, I like talk. to listen to my daughter, and she'll say words that I'm like, man, she sounds like a hick. Where's that draw come from? And then it's like, oh, yeah, go listen to podcasts, and you can probably figure yeah. it out. Well, yeah. we've, we've smoothed some things out. Not to say that every podcast is the best, but I think comparatively speaking to the first one we ever did, it's probably a little bit more comfortable and just comes off uh, Probably a little bit more easy. background noise because we really yeah. just kind of like, I'd rather do it outside and Gotta be deal outside. with the background noise. That's all right. That's all right. Yeah. But what's what's cool is throughout this this journey of podcasting, um, and we've, we've been a few places. We've oh. <laughs> People ask me that all the time. Uh, How much are you on the road? And I'm like, I, I don't think I'm on the road as much as you probably think, but I'm probably on the road more than most people, you know. Yeah, for sure. And 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 I I do get that question a lot. Like, how do you, how do you guys do it, and how do you guys, you know, make it all work? It's like you know, they're most times they're there's they're quick I can trips. S- not to interrupt, but that guy still got yeah, that rattling muffler. muffler going yeah. off in this. I don't know if they can hear that or not, but yeah, buddy, get it. Yeah. Um, they're 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 relatively quick trips to get back home put some plans together and and uh, you know get ready for the next one and head out and uh you know it, it's fun but but the podcast has been wonderful enough to be able to reach people um in most of the corners across the country and yeah that's i, that I think you know when we go from mm, delaware to texas and florida to minnesota and everywhere in between New York, New York even, yep. to to Texas. I mean, that's a pretty wide net. And I can honestly say that you any of those states, 
and I get there, I'm going to be like, I'm going to leave, and if the plan's implemented, I'm like, best farm in the neighborhood. Oh, yeah. And I'm so confident in our work and so confident in the principles that we recommend to people that I'm going, that guy's not spending as much money, he's getting better hunting, and his habitat is drastically improved. If he does the plan. Yeah, I think I think I get I get super excited because I can see the excitement and the light bulbs going off in, in people's um, eyes and their brain when, when they start showing what what habitat is, what it isn't. And and you know, being right there with them, walking their specific farm, um, and then be able to talk about it on the podcast, put these plans together and following up with them and watching Watching the plan get implemented is so fun from a from a distance. You know, I'm, we're not yeah. we're not there. We can't we can't be the ones, you know, spraying and cutting all these all these areas in. I wish we could. I mean, it'd be it'd be awesome. I, I would wish I to. could be a part time farm manager for every single one of these people. It'd be awesome, but we can't. The second best thing is to be a part of it through the encouragement and the educational side of yes do this do that don't do that and watching it happen um i mean in in the last week number one april for the first couple weeks of april has been fantastic for burn weather there's been a ton of people burning oh um, yeah and and putting flame on the ground whether it was the first time or it's their 10th time burning a lot of flame was going on the ground getting getting those texts which is fantastic and cool and then um seeing the aftermath of of clients out in ohio um i was just with them in march and within four weeks they'd sprayed 110 acres of fescue oh my goodness that's and amazing I'm like, i i'm so giddy because one i could see what was going to come back expression yep. what was kind of popping through and i'm just picturing 110 acres of that type of quality in that neighborhood is going to be unbelievable. And it, I mean, yes, 110 acres, um, that's, a, that's a lot of habitat to, to put on the ground in year one. But And we've been down this road before. It's amazing. That's what I like. Yeah. We've been down this road of, of seeing what that level of work can do. And so when a guy, client says, we sprayed 110 acres of fescue, it's like, Oh, you better buckle up because what you're getting ready to see happen is going to be game changing. Game changing. And and, and on top of that, too, then they had they had, you know, a very heavy invasive load. So, you know, are they burning it soon? Yes. They're going to burn off all the thatch. Oh, wonderful. Um, That'll set back even the missed spots. mm -hmm. And then they went back and with um, hand wand stuff, gone back in, sprayed underneath trees, stuff that they didn't get, trying to just really piece it all together. But. In in future bedding areas, they went in and um, did a huge reduction in treatment of invasive species too. Mm. Overrun with bush honeysuckle, multiflor rose, autumn olive. So, I mean, they're just absolutely getting it. It's like I know, and I and I, and I try to use words, descriptions, and and put together the plan of of what they can expect by doing these this work. But I'm sitting here thinking. It's one of those you have to experience it and see it to see it to believe it. The legacy effect. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. To to know what what they're going to be going into in the next couple months, um, as as the first growing season. But even five, ten, fifteen years from now, yep. as they incorporate, you know, more cutting, more treatment of invasives, and prescribed fire to maintain it all. I'm just sitting here thinking, their minds could be blown. Yeah. 
and, and, they're, and, and that's why oof. taking pictures and and and, documenting. and and documenting is good because it changes so fast that five years from now and you're like, oh, this is wonderful. You it's, might hit a dog the dog days again and be like, okay, I feel like we're not climbing as much. It's like, you not remember what it was five years ago or yeah. a year ago? Like. You just got to keep inspired and know that you just keep grinding it, and all of a sudden you you just get click cruise control and do maintenance. And and I try and take drone pictures of most aspects of the farm that we visit because I know for a fact that you implement this plan, it'll never look this way again. Yeah. And that's by design. Like yeah. someone should show up to your place and be like, whoa, <laughs> what the heck? Like, it ought to look they, different. They ought to drive through the gate and look at your neighbors and look at yours and go, this looks different. The fence line should be the clear dividing line yeah. of any farm when a plan is in place. It, I mean, it takes years to get there. But there should be a stark difference between where your property starts and where it ends, comparatively speaking, to a neighborhood. Not yeah. that we want a neighborhood to be bad. We'd love landscapes but and co-ops and everything. Right, but... But if you're if you're not having that ah I've arrived at the gate feeling because you're seeing quality habitat and and you've been working on a place to develop it for many years and it looks like everything else we've missed the boat and I think that honestly probably leads us into this week's podcast topic as you just got back from a trip from South Carolina I have worked in. North Carolina, Georgia, Mississippi. Um, this this spring, yeah. So we we focused and you've we've hit you've, the southeast pretty good this spring. Yeah, in in parts of Tennessee. Um, mm-hmm. So we're dealing with pine plantations. Yeah, it's a question that we get a lot, and it's hard to really address because. Each pine plantation is different. And there's not much good to say about them. <laughs> but they're all about the same in the fact that there's just pines. Oh, uh, it's 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 not just it's just pines. It's pines that have likely been hit with some very heavy chemicals mm-hmm. early on. Early on. Set, and it's set the tone for some monocultures. And it's and it's kind of it's kind of been set for closed canopy, little limited sunlight. Mm-hmm. And a whole lot of pine. <laughs> yeah. Not just pine trees, but pine needles. And so it's very, yeah. Yeah. I mean, okay, this is, uh, we'll devote this entire podcast to pine plantations in southeast because, and, and, well, even south. And trying to, and we'll bring in, obviously, points from other places we've seen to compare and contrast, but specifically for managing pine plantations that you want to still have income throughout the years of management on on a on a property but at the same time you're still wanting to how can I squeeze this lemon and get all the drops of juice I can for quality habitat out of a pine plantation like how do I accomplish that it's how a do tough I get mission. The, yeah how do I get maximum dollars financial in, uh, income and still get Really good habitat. Or and frankly, you can't. Correct, correct. Let's be honest. You can't maximize pine plantation, pine production, and get really high-quality habitat. What you can do is a few little tweaks, a few management techniques that make your habitat much better, 
But understand that it's just like you can't go out in the middle of a cornfield in Iowa and make phenomenal habitat for deer because those acres are managed exclusively for corn. And and specifically, that's why this is difficult to do. And this is why everyone says, well, what do I do with this? Like, how do I, how do I devote these acres? And sometimes some people just bypass them and say, well, you know, let's just skip over that because there's not much you can do. Well, there are some practices, but, but this is where we go back. We've devoted a whole podcast to it and we start out every consultation the same way. What are your goals? Yeah. Because each acre may have a different goal. And that's why, especially in, in areas of the South that have got pine plantations, yeah, w- one portion of the farm may be like, okay, that's timber devoted and this is habitat. But some people want that that melting effect and say, yeah, but if I can have a little bit of both, I, I, I want that. And that's totally fine. But you need to be clear on what it is you're trying to achieve from those acres. And Again, this podcast is about how do we try to make better wildlife habitat specifically for deer and turkey and quail in managed pine plantations for timber value. Yeah, and I get, for some reason, it seems a pretty regular occurrence that guys, landowners, clients, listeners want a rating for whatever it is we're looking at. Yeah, yeah. Give it a 1 to 10. What's a 1 to 10? And I don't feel like, on average... Now, and I say on average because there's, and we'll address it, but you go from a from a clear cut that's been freshly planted back into pines to the last harvest when it becomes a clear cut once again. And between that time, there are some good windows of time that has been more beneficial than a lot of surrounding landscape and way more beneficial during a few years versus the long period in between. And so on average... Lumping clear-cut to clear-cut, let's just say, I don't give pine plantations higher than a five, and I give a lot of them much lower than a five. Shoot, no, that was generous. Because it is so hard, and I feel like we're dogging pretty good, but I think that sets the stage really well for Pine plantations are wonderful for financial gains um, for for a lot of guys. I don't think sometimes they are. Sometimes they're terrible. Um, we're, we're sitting in, in a spot right now. I mean, there are multiple landowners that we work with that the market is so bad for pines, they can't get them cut. And, and they may not be wanting the financial side of side of the, the pine income. Um, they're looking strictly from a wildlife habitat standpoint. And people aren't cutting it right now because... The demand isn't enough, but the, supply, the mills are full. Yeah, the supply at the at the mills are so full, um, and so then at that point you're you're like, well, maybe there's a little bit of room at this mill and or or that one, but the distance that you're gonna drive from one site to the other makes it worth nothing. Yeah. And so there's it, it's just like it's a commodity, right? Yep. So so you're always looking at supply and demand to determine the value of that of that tree that's sitting on X acre on your property and it varies so much. And, and right now, ah, there's just not much money in it. Yeah. And it's a tough place to be. And it, it is, and but it, I don't think it's going anywhere anytime soon. And it, 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 uh, and, and it could, but like in the same time, that acre five years from now, depending on that supply and demand could be worth much more. Yeah. Even, even if it, let's just say it did not grow. 
which that's not going to happen. But yeah. let's say it did not grow. It's just it's it's a market. Yeah, it's strictly a market. And and being a long term commodity versus short term like corn, mm-hmm. you're pretty much oh corn was high in the spring. Let's hope it's high in the fall. There we go. I'm yep. going corn. But with pines, it's a long term investment. You gotta and grow them. You gotta grow them, and you you're gonna cut some pretty early on. Cut some more midway through. Maybe cut again three quarters of the way through, and then clear cut again later. And in that course of time, I mean, that could be 50 years, more or less. And a lot can change. And I think that's where we're seeing right now is a lot of pines got put in the ground years ago. Oh, for sure. And we've hit this time frame where mills are full and, you know, COVID hit and there was a lot of mills just shut down. And a lot of a lot of mills didn't make it through the '08 recession, and and so that's where I was at. And in, in South Carolina, it's like, well, a lot of mills around here closed down, mm-hmm. and it's like, and they were full when they closed down. Yeah, it's like, oh, great. So we say all that because there's a lot of our listeners that are dealing with pine plantations, and they're trying to figure out how they can make it better for wildlife while still not affecting. Maybe it maybe it's a guy that's leasing from a timber company. Maybe it's a guy who owns or his dad owns the farm or his grandpa owns the farm or a family member owns the farm and the pine plantation is what they got and they're just trying to make it a little bit better, knowing that they can't dare cut a single pine. <laughs> Outside of the, the normal contract management. Yes. Of and the pine so plantation. it's like it's it's a really hard place for us to come in and be like, Okay, this is what you gotta do. Wham bam. Here you go, you're going to kill a booner in three years. No. No. And so what we try to do is squeak in and do a f- and do some things that fit the normal management practices for pine plantations that are just a little bit more aggressive than the general pine plantation management. I, I know this is going to sound silly, and this is going to lead into what it is we commonly see um, – and this is where we'll bring in examples from, from other regions into how this is similar. But hear me out. I almost wish and hope that there is some sort of hardwood or, dare I say, some component of some sweet gum mixed in with a pine plantation. Oh. Now someone just said, <laughs> shut it off. <laughs> All credibility is gone. <laughs> yeah. Give us a second here. Because when you look at vast acres of pine plantations, um, you know, that are covering, let's just say, 50, 60 acres of one chunk of the exact same, same age, same species, no understory, it obviously is a wasteland. We don't need to go into to, to that uh, rabbit track rabbit trail. But what what we want is give us something that we can cut. Give us something that we can put on the ground that will be of structure give us some other species that are occupying some of the canopy that we can cut to put the cover on the ground and then open up the canopy in some manner and if it's a sweet gum then that gummit it's a sweet gum but give us something to work with to diversify that 50 60 acres or maybe it's 200 acres 
But generally, and this is kind of what you found in this recent trip and, and I found in, in uh, many other areas that maybe maybe it was a clear cut and there was a lot of pine regeneration coming back and they just said, ah, well, well, we'll let this thing go. So you have that mixture of hardwood and pine, but pine heavy. If you got hardwoods and you want to diversify it, cut them. Yeah. Well, one thing I will mention, too, that I think gets missed is that sweet gum is a native species. It is very true. And and a lot of guys forget that. Like, what are your invasives down here? Oh, sweet gum. Uh, You can't consider a native invasive. You can call it aggressive, but we're not going to call it an invasive. It's not an invader. It didn't come from somewhere else. It just has very, very aggressive tendencies. And I'm not loving all sweet gums. I, I honestly think that probably some of that well, it's self-induced. It's self-induced. Hundred percent, it's self-induced because of because of the management practices that have occurred over such long times. Yeah. Of a preferential, um, whether it's you know, timber that you're trying to uh, create or herbicides or what have you, that 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 sweet gum never was on the top of the list. And so it was kind of missed. And now the seed source has grown and grown and grown over so many decades that they're everywhere. And they just keep on growing. Yeah. And uh, I think you said it best that, you know, it, it's kind of similar to that eastern red cedar. Let's just, they're both kind of weedy species where they tend to get, you know, we rip on eastern red cedar a lot because mm-hmm. it is very aggressive and it takes over open ground. It's really bad thing for prairies and old fields uh, if if left unmanaged, same if, thing if with found in monocultures and le- if yeah, found left, in monocultures, un- left unmanaged. Yep, solitary little pockets, great. Sure, don't have a problem with it. Most of the time, we see them in vast amounts of acres, and Correct. that's our big rip on them. Yep, and sweet gum can do the same thing. Uh huh. But in the uh, in the in the pockets or in the places we're discussing and talking positively about sweet gum is pine plantation, where it may be twenty six acres, fifty acres, a hundred acres. Of loblolly pine dominating that area, planted in rows, big beautiful pines, and you as, think as that's like 90, just 90 95 percent of the tree growth. The canopy is a pine with no mass production, the exact same age, the exact same growth form, and it's all an upper story canopy tree. Yeah, like like what what we deal with are pretty much wild turkeys. White-tailed deer, that's the focus of the podcast, that's the focus of of who we're trying to benefit here. So why are we having one single species occupying that much of the the composition and all look the exact same? And we do talk a lot about bobwhite quail, rough grouse, but the focus of those two, for this podcast, we're talking white-tailed deer and wild turkey. But, But how can a tree of that shape and size benefit those greatly? Yeah. They can't. They can't. 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 Absolutely can't. can't. It, it's with the a, same with a apostrophe T at the end of can't. <laughs> Cannot. <laughs> they can't do it. And and that's we 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 have to address that and make you know, make sure everyone realizes that. That you may see deer pass through, you may see turkeys roost in it, but they're not making a living in that system. And there's a period. Much, there could none. be a much better system. Yes. A much more diverse system. So let's let's talk about the, the let's talk about the occasional sweet gums that you see growing in some pockets, some third row thinnings, what have you, different stages of pines. So we talk a lot about the difference between the upper Midwest or or the northern states, the Midwest, 
and the southern states and how in the northern part we're just craving to find ways to add more woody browse to the landscape. And in the south, the growing season is so long that woody structure isn't usually a problem. The problem is keeping it within reach and keeping it beneficial with deer. Mm-hmm. And so over the over the years, we've kind of really said that we don't really want you using a lot of herbicides up north to kill woody species unless it's invasives. But down south, you may want to do that to slow it down and get more herbaceous plants. But what you find in pine plantations is void of woody structure for the most part. Because that You may get blackberry patches. You may get beautyberry. You may get a few other shrubs, but nothing to the degree that's beneficial. Chinese oh. privet. Oh, Chinese <laughs> privet. Yeah. But but it's almost like that tool of herbicide initially was used too much. Yeah, like like it was it was so prolific and had such long um, periods of of uh, not volatility but but um, effectiveness that you know sixteen eighteen months long active in the soil that's a long time for it, pines to get growing and, and actually take some shape and they start yeah. shading stuff out. Pretty it's, quickly. it's similar to a pre-emergent in crops. Absolutely. Where you're Absolutely. killing out the competition and allowing your crop species to outcompete. And and by the time that that herbicide is broken down on the soil and those other plants start to grow, got it's already too late. Yep. Because yep. the other one's already got the it's already got the head start. Mm-hmm. And that's what you see in a lot of these pine plantations. That's what we've seen so much at spring and in past years working in the south. It's just like Stick your nose in a pine plantation, you go, where's the sun? It's middle of the day, and we're standing in the shade, and I don't see any sun on the ground anywhere around me. This is terrible. How do I manage for sunlight and bring sun's energy into the soil, into the plant? Deer consumes that plant, and that energy is transferred into that deer and creates a healthy deer. Or or they're not eating it, and it's used as cover. Yeah. Yeah. One one of the two. It's useful. It's it's useful energy transfer into... Habitat, and I think I mean you could you could compare southern pine plantations to woods in the north. I can see two hundred yards through it. Woods in the north that are very, uh, I believe the term is mesic. They're Over. not. They're 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 very like maple heavy, beech heavy, conifer heavy. So you don't have great mass production line. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and and so all that you have is just canopy and no sunlight. And they're just vast deserts. Again, you're going to see deer walk through. You're going to see turkeys walk through. Um, but the amount of, of benefit or forage cover available in those types of systems is just extremely poor. So, and, and we're not we're not hoping that the sweet gum is the hardwood species that we find in some um, pine plantations. But if that's all that there is, here's the value. If if there's 50 and 60 acres of no cover on the ground, like no structure, no shrubbery. All you have is maybe a slight little bit of herbaceous layer and pine needles. Well, if all you've got sweet gum, cut them and put the canopy on the ground. Give some sunlight in there, in these little pockets, and put the canopy on the ground. There's there's now woody structure. There's There's structure in that system that maybe is going to concentrate some deer in and around to. And hopefully, like, there's always the stream management zones in pine areas that, you know, they're, they're there for protection of erosion along the stream banks and, and wet weather creeks or springs or what have you. Um, but, but 
there's probably some trees in there that can still go too because they have not been managed for many years. Yep. Cut some of those puppies. Uh, the other Cut them. The other place that comes to mind is, you know, even with hardwood stands where we talk about like, okay, you got 20 acres, let's go somewhere out in the middle so it's off the roads, it's away from the food plot enough. Spatially, it makes sense. Or mm-hmm. and, and so we look at that and, and you look in these pine plantations and you probably could find some places where if you see the rows, especially with aerial imaging, Mm-hmm. You could look at the rows and say, okay, well, there's where two rows or or the rows were kind of merging and there's a little gap in the canopy. Let's go check that area out yeah. because there's if there's a gap in the canopy, that means there's sunlight sneaking through somehow. Yep. And, oh, by the way, we get in there and that's where these hardwoods are at or these softwood trees that aren't pines mm-hmm. and they're 15 foot off the ground. Let's do some, let's do some work. And... And 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 it may be only a quarter acre, but it's a quarter acre that's way more productive than anywhere else around. So it does have the benefit to attract the deer in there. Yeah, well, we're not taking we're not going to take a pine plantation from a wildlife habitat at, at a score of you gave it a generous five. We're not <laughs> we're not taking it to a, a, an eight, a nine, a ten level. We're just bumping it up a little bit because again, and it might be just a little bit better, and that makes it better than the neighbors. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it may make it more consistent patterns. Yeah. It may. It, we're not. We're not changing the the. Uh, let's say overall food availability in a pine system by doing a practice like that, but essentially you're condensing and confining deer by giving them a little bit of woody structure in a certain area that's going to make patterns more consistent. And hello, who doesn't want more consistent patterns than a deer hunter? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I, I think it's, I, I think what woody we, structure is, yeah. is very important. Doesn't matter what part of the state you're, or country you're in. I, and I down s- south, it's yeah. like sweet gums, girdle and spray them or hack and squirt them. Most guys will say girdle and spray them, hack and squirt's not as effective with sweet gums. But they'll do that and it's like you took the one as even though it's a sweet gum that we're just like we're just it's passed down from generation. You're supposed to hate that tree. Yeah. And it's there's there's half a dozen in here or there's a there's there's 30 of them in here and we killed the one tree that has the chance of providing some woody structure on the ground that's still still living enough to survive the fires that we want to burn through here. Uh, If you've never spent time in a prairie system, then I don't think that you have, especially deer hunting um, or working, reading sign, scouting, whatever you want to call it, there's no better... um, indicator of how important woody browse is than in that system out there because think of a prairie you can see hundreds and hundreds of acres in a given time shrubs or or small wooded pockets are usually going to be found in in creek drainages low swales rocky little cliffs um that's where the woody cover is and that's where you'll be bumping deer out of yes those areas that have um the, the woody structure, the, the, the shrub colonies growing there. And you're going to walk from one to another across vast open areas of grass that does not have that woody structure there and, and likely be not nearly bumping the, the amount uh, of deer out of those areas 
as you are the woody structure component. But what you can't see in the south or in the far north is, think of all the grass pockets that are in a prairie system. Translate that quality of, of bedding cover to, let's say, closed canopy forest with a couple down trees that maybe it's ice or maybe um, the, just the wind tops broke out of them. That's your shrub thickets around in, in an area of closed canopy or down south in, in a pine plantation. Maybe some ice dropped some, some of the pines and you've got a, yep. a big you know canopy top with pine needles all around it. Well, that's where the deer are going to be bedded. That's essentially the same thing as the prairie out west, but you put shrub or, or canopies down on the ground, that woody structure component is so strongly related to bedding anywhere. Yeah. Anywhere there's a whitetail at, you have to have it. And and I saw, when I was in Mississippi, um, areas that have been um, hacking squirted in, in hardwood situations. Okay. Um, roughly acre, acre and a quarter in size went in there pretty decent response in uh or basically like there was sunlight getting there visibly like warmer no shit no shadows on the ground kind of thing like light was getting through but there was only an herbaceous layer yeah there 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 was not a structural cover aspect in that area mm-hmm. and the goal was to try and support bedding in yeah. that acre and quarter yeah and so not that that practice in the sunlight didn't do good things, but it was not accomplishing the goal because it was absent of actually no. structural component of what cover is. There was some food value. Again, it, it improved things, but it didn't accomplish the goal. Yeah. And we're just saying in pine plantations, if there's any type of tree that can be cut in these areas, cut them. Yeah. Don't hack and squirt them because you're losing cut out them. on the what what is very limited anyway and if it's a if it's a if it's a uh, a bad tree and you don't want it to to you know grow like let's take a sweet gum if they're browsing on sweet gum sprouts or leaves we're, we're, we're probably got some problems <laughs> we know we already have problems it's a pine plantation <laughs> it's but, a pine plantation that had heavy herbicide and and yes. limited cutting and i think that's where so much we just see it like uh it, it, we just see the management is always too conservative. Uh, it's not as aggressive enough. It's not at the forefront of let's make sure that we're constantly cutting. Let's make sure we're constantly managing, adding disturbance, putting stuff on the ground. That's yeah. why, you know, I, I feel like early on in, in my understanding of land management as I started, uh, it seems like hack and squirt or killing a tree standing just gets the window of me recommending it gets smaller and smaller and smaller where I'm like, there is, if, if you hear me, any clients listening, hears me recommend hack and squirt, they better listen up, take pictures because that's something pretty like, Whoa, he recommended it for this area. Mm -hmm. I'll generally not recommend it for a lot. It's for the simple fact that you're, you're killing a resource that we could make better. It's typically, Super high stem count areas that that are that's going to have mid story, yeah, yeah, or less. That's going to have very high debris loads on the ground. Um, but I mean that that or invasives. Happen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That aren't probably trees. Anyway. Correct. They're shrubs. So you know, they're, they're, yeah. It's 
why why take something that we can make useful and yep. waste it? Yeah. And and again, we're trying to make we're trying to we're not trying to put lipstick on a pig. Yeah. But at the same time, we're trying to make that pork a little bit sweeter. For me, <laughs> we're not what, changing the game. What you know? I look at in the in the in in I guess and kind of rounding out my my Hackensworth here is if you take a pine plantation, let's say it's 20 acres and it's a and it's a perfect square, um, we get we're wanting to try to make bedding in the middle of that just to give us some space. And if we find it in the middle, okay, we're gonna lay that stuff over, hinge cut some stuff, flush cut some stuff, try to encourage woody brows, but also woody structure. And then you back off of that and say, okay, well. If I'm getting back off of that, I'm getting closer to the, my lines. I'm getting closer to my fire lines. Okay. And if I have a pine plantation, I want to at least make sure I'm burning it. And so if I'm burning, I don't want snags close to that fire line. So mm. I'm still not using hack and squirt even outside of the interior. Even Correct. if it is a sweet gum, I'm going to find another way to kill that tree because I don't want a snag throwing embers across the line. Yeah, definitely. And so that's where it's like... You really get limited on on your usability of of hack and squirt. Doesn't matter where you're at. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And and uh, e- even that's gonna sound a little crazy, but if if you have those areas of portions of the pine plantations where you have burned or excuse me, you have cut, um, and there is woody structure in there, consider burning those portions differently. Consider mm-hmm. consider going into those areas and and blowing pine needles off and around them yep. because if you burn those with a with with a with a big intensity you're going to burn up some of the canopy structure in there and you're yep. going to lose that value or or kill the trees you you uh hinge cut yeah so so really uh, respect those areas from from a security standpoint when hunting but protect yep. them as if that's a valuable commodity because that's yeah. exactly what it is. Yeah. And Typically, so you, another thing you could do if you're if you don't want to blow the line around, let's say you've got a lot of blackberries and you're like that's going to take too long. Um, and but at the same time, it's pine plantation. You can probably at least go parallel with the rows and disc in some lines somewhere, sure, and sure, then sure. blow line through the others. But if not, go in there and drop, uh, just dot some. Yeah, some burn fire it differently. and let it back through there, mm-hmm. and then go light it. Correct. So Correct. just a lot of just things make you sure you're not decreasing, let's say, the integrity of of that like the structure within those units. If it's a if it's a limited resource, protect it. Like I I've got a a guy in Kansas, in in a prairie top who's like they're big giant cattle ranches around them that burn in April like crazy. Yep. And it's like, hey, listen, we need your structure, your your com- shrub shrub structure in this grassland to be thicker i don't i don't i need you to protect against fire for a couple years to let this develop a little bit more so before april every single year he's going to be disking some in and around these shrub corridors um that we need to develop for one just movement corridors but because we need that transitional zone back on the landscape and so he's it, it sounds crazy but in that system we're protecting against fire and this system we're doing the same thing in the pines but like you you've got to think of how do i create structure and then how do i protect it to make sure that i'm i'm still offering this this limited resource i I think that there's there's some more talk to managing the pines and situations someone's going to say what can i do 
once I've cut some. Mm-hmm. What's like the next steps? Say, oh, once they've thinned the pines? Once, once they've thinned or maybe they got to the point where, hey, they had saw logs and now they're thinking about going into the next steps of, of I need to plant pines back from the income standpoint, but but is there anything either in that time frame or for the long-term preparation of replanting those pines can I can I can I give up a little bit of acreage and still increase opportunities for wildlife? So well obviously yes. I think one of the big things about that is just how much is a landowner willing to give up? Everyone is different, right? Yeah, every single person has different goals and it could be that they don't care a drop about making a dime, which is mm-hmm. great. I'm happy for you. Yep. Then there's other people's like, well, I got to pay for the farm. Yep. So I have to plant it in pines. It all depends. And, and I think it would be important to say, okay, in the life, let's say a 50-year time span for every acre that you have in pine, what is that financial return that you would get and say, okay, if I took out, if, if you're forced to go, not forced, if you've clear cut 40 acres and you're thinking, okay. I can give up between two and four acres of that 40-acre section that I don't need that income over the next 50 years because I'm only getting X amount per acre. Let's say you're given four acres to design quality-ish type habitat on a 40-acre chunk. What would be the things that you would do and recommend in that to make sure the 40 acres is going to be semi-quality wildlife habitat for the next 50 years. So it's a 40-acre chunk of pines, but I got four acres that I can work with? Four acres of of pretty much any design that you can kind of work with. First off, it wouldn't all go to cover, and it wouldn't all go to food. Mm -hmm. And I would probably try to diversify. If it's 40 acres and it's just all a square, let's say. Let's just say a square. I would probably try to put... you know, in a perfect world, the road goes somewhere. There, there's multiple roads yeah, on both sides. There's, there's, uh, it's a square block, and there's north road, south okay, road, Okay, the whole road. thing's roaded yeah. off. Okay. I would probably try to have a food plot near the edge. Hopefully, it's not one of my main roads. Yep. Um, and, and I have the ability to go to other parts of the farm. So I would put my food plots. Let's just say they're both one-acre food plots. I would put one on one end and one on the other end. And... I would probably, or I would put one in the middle and one on one end, and I would have a one-acre clear cut in the middle of each one of them. Or it would either go food plot on each end of the square and a and a uh, caddy corner, a one-acre clear mm-hmm. cut somewhere in the middle, but not a two-acre clear cut because I can break it up. I can cause deer to move around by yeah. adding different you, resources throughout that 40 acres. You want them to work in and around. And so... Yes, yeah. that's I, I would do something probably similar to that. But I'd also look at, okay, let's say I've got um, that 40-acre chunk, but I've also got a, a, a stream um, that, that comes in close to the border off of another pine plantation to my east and comes up almost to that road along the east boundary. I would consider not, not just doing food plot chunk, food plot chunk, and then a couple bedding thickets, but I would 
say, well, what if I extend that corridor into that pine plantation and then blow out a bigger chunk or, or I say shouldn't blow out. I just wouldn't plant that, that pine plantation in that um, area and let it grow up in dense and burn it at different rotations for heavier stem counts to, to create that type of Absolutely. Thick, thick cover. I would want to, I would want to consider not only how deer have historically utilized that, like from a, from a blank slate, like this is ground zero situation, but I would look at the surrounding neighborhood and say, or surrounding units of the property and say, how can I pull deer that are over here and make them walk through, create this corridor and connect and maybe a bedding over here. So I've got more transitional areas to hunt on different winds or yeah. connecting this food plot here. I would think some, some linear type design as well. And I, I think if you look if at the surrounding a lot of pine plantations, that. you can probably see that there's some sort of hardwood spine or some mm-hmm. sort of scene that goes out through the middle of it. And chances are it shouldn't come at any big shocker to anybody there's a lot of junk trees in that woody in that woody seam it's like that's our bedding now we can figure something else out but that's our that's going to be our best chance at quality bedding mm-hmm. and so we can build off of that and hopefully add some burning and get some more herbaceous growth in our pine plantation to be summer food summer cover but we have our dense cover in our hardwood seam every site is different but the other thing i would do too is if I'm looking at how to manage pines when I'm harvesting or soon thereafter is depending on the market because it changes yeah. all the time. Um, I, w- I, would s- I would look at the prices and say, what if I go more aggressive? I don't follow the typical prescription. If I'm going to thin this way every single time, if I have some leniency, I may say maybe in a pulpwood, the, in- the initial thinning, I'm going to take more trees then because, hey, prices are great. And I'm going to open up the canopy. And then for the next 15 years, I've got 15 to 20 years, I've got way more canopy opening before those pines that I didn't remove begin to fill in. And they're probably going to grow at a a faster rate because there's no competition. So I've got good quality timber and I've got great quality habitat that's coming back very herbaceous well, but I, I i didn't take my my money in or the income off those trees and four or five let's say payments i took two or three they were just bigger lumps yeah the only and, and that sounds great and the only thing that we would be cautious on that or be people to 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 be aware of is the fact that you may deal with wind damage sure. more ice damage more because you had trees that were used to growing in dense cover now you've opened it up even Correct. more so it is a gamble but at the same time you have to weigh it out and prioritize is habitat more important or is your timber income and if timber income is not as important to habitat we're getting way more aggressive and one thing so like what i would talk and what i talked about with one of the landowners in south carolina was Let's talk about if if you've got a thinning coming up this year, how about we take this 16-acre unit and we do, you know, it, it, let's just say that the forester wants to do a third-row thinning. Well, let's thin, but then in the middle, let's do an acre and just clear-cut it. So have them cut every pine out of that. Sure. And so we have that grown up. Maybe we go in and we plant some shrubs native to the area so we have woody structure growing and you have 
I, I mean, you know they're going to bet in it because mm-hmm. it's very limited. And so we can use the forester to do the work for us. As long as any type of potential um, herbicide applications down the road didn't exactly. interfere with that, and you yep. you made that um, – you know, you know, you know, you denoted that to a contractor that would come in and do that work. Uh-huh. And he knows don't spray those areas. Yep. Fine, perfect, wonderful. If you're gonna thin some, why not thin just a little bit more right here in in yep. these areas and and put them. You know, just depending on how it lays, make sure you can get around the edges, the boundaries of those sure. different wind situations. Make sure you're using utilizing that again to kind of connect existing corridors from the way deer have you know routinely or historically utilize that that topography in the area because guess what it's all pine so that's not a defining feature (laughs) for (laughs) sure create that that. and building off of what you said earlier is one of the other big things i guess one of the big pieces of advice i have for people is if you have somebody wanted to cut the pines probably let them do it find a way to get those cut because we know and we've dealt with so many landowners who are going I can't find anybody to cut them. Yeah. I can't find anybody to cut them. And they're sitting on closed canopy, rank pine trees that ultimately are but setting themselves up for a bad well, either pine well, beetles come in because you have very stressed trees already uh, and you have the issues. Stress is, is the issue because y- you haven't they're at a point where they need to be thinned because their yep. plant is so dense that the canopies are infringing on each other. You're getting you're getting damage to each one of those trees and super high stress. So on even those when trees, you do cut them, you have a, a tree who's been stressed trying to yeah. come out of it. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And then the other thing is too. So you hear the thing. Well, maybe I'll just cut them myself. Well, you really can't because no. you're going to have heavy fuel loads super under heavy. a tree. It can't really be burned too hot, or you're going to start crowning them out with the fire. And, and so it's just too, really that's, that's too much woody debris. I mean, that, yeah. that's too much canopy on the ground. That's that's too much structure um, yeah. to, for someone to to, to do that. Yeah. Um, but but in comparison, right now we're seeing some people, let's say way up north, going in and cutting areas, and they're taking all that debris out. Oh yeah. I, I, we've we've seen that on some social media. I had pictures sent, and and it's like. Well, you're taking the structure. You're taking all that away. Like, and that, leave and, some. And that's not pines. That's Correct. that's hardwoods and Correct. softwood mixed mixed in that we're seeing people go in and take a, an acre and say, we're going to clear cut this whole thing. And then they spend weeks piling everything up. And burning it, let's say, off-site in a different area. And it's like, you missed, you missed it. You, you, you worked too hard, and you didn't let time be on your side if yep. if you go to an area that has let's just say a, a wonderfully executed bedding thicket where roughly a third has been hinged maybe some smaller diameter trees mid-story stuff roughly a, thi- uh, a third has been flush cut and not treated and then your undesirable trees the other third has been flush cut and treated you go there yeah sure there's going to be some absolute clutter on the ground there's going to be some denser pockets um but in a year go right back to that same area and it looks drastically different the the ability for for wildlife to be able to navigate through there over time once things settle maybe once you've had a prescribed fire go through there or maybe you know um 
there's just the trees decompose by themselves o- over time. Everyone's at a different rate in, in those systems or whether brambles have climbed up over this. It's going to look different, Yeah. but you need that structure in those units. So don't pull that out. <laughs> you just yeah. made an herbaceous plot. And again, that is fine if that is your goal. But if your goal is to have bedding there, do not take away the woody debris. Yeah, for sure. And uh, and lastly, if you haven't picked up on it yet, when it comes to pine plantations, one of the things you can do that you should do if you're managing for turkeys and deer is try to implement prescribed fire on a regular basis. Try to encourage, because if there was lots of herbicide use early on in that pine plantation, try to burn that that needle and that those the, 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 the thatch off of the ground so you can encourage annual weeds and more um, herbaceous plants to grow rather than just have it dog hair thick layers stacked on top of each other pine needles. I mean, you think about you, if you've got a closed canopy situation plus pine needles on the ground, you you got to eliminate at least one of them, right? Yeah. Or you decrease one of them. You got to, you know, decrease the canopy or be burning. That's going to consume that that pine straw debris. Get some sunlight in there to the ground. Bare minimum, you, you got to do that. And I think at that point too, what if, what if you get to the system that hasn't been burned in six or seven years, and there's a there's a a lot of uh, Maybe that maybe it's some <laughs> post oaks, yeah. Oh. Well, well, post oaks, sweet gums, and and some hardwood stuff in there. Maybe, maybe you burn it slowly first on on less than ideal conditions, so we're not uh, killing those, and then then we can go in and cut those hardwoods. Yeah. Like let's let's use them. Let's just don't torch them. And yeah. and um, you know every and this this is what is fascinating, but at the same time, I think what people miss is although. Um, trees may not be the most preferred, let's say, type of vegetation growth for for deer or those, the species you're trying to to manage for. That doesn't mean that it's not useful. Yeah. And, and and each species or each growth form of vegetation has its role. It just needs to be managed in a way that keeps in mind its food value, its cover value, and how that is distributed spatially on your property. Yeah. You you if you grasped all those things, then you're probably a, a, a very successful land manager and hopefully hunter. But if you don't understand how those three things work together with the natural resources on your property, whether you are in the southeast or you're up north, there's people that can help. That's right. Yeah. Well, I hope hopefully we didn't discourage too many people from buying a pine plantation, but hopefully we <laughs> help those guys with pine plantations yeah. squeeze out a little bit more production. Yes. Um, from their from their farm and uh, utilize species that may not look like a great thing, and you've been trying to kill them all. Maybe look at them in a little bit different light to in- improve your habitat. So, burn, cut, burn some more, guys. <laughs> Absolutely. And uh, you know, turkey seasons probably in full swing for you guys if you're in the southeast listening to this podcast um so continue to get out there good luck be safe and uh join us back here next week as we're going to be jumping right back into the soil health podcast series for sure and uh continuing on on our turkey podcast series so we appreciate it guys go ahead oh i was gonna say i was just say we're we're sitting here it's late it's 
dark out now, finally. It's probably, what do you think, upper 40s? Yeah, low fifties. But we're in, we're, you're both, you're wearing the fuse top. No, I'm wearing furnace. Furnace, that's what I meant. Yeah, the furnace. Yeah. We're both wearing the furnace top, and I'm sitting here like, dang, I love wearing this furnace top. I'm disappointed that it's going to be spring and summer because. Oh, I'm moving to Wyoming. <laughs> that's the way I can keep sure? wearing it. Yeah. I love this thing. Yeah, I no really doubt. do. Guys, we'll catch you next week. Yeah.